Hello, and welcome to Still Scared, Talking Children's Horror, a podcast about creepy, spooky, and otherwise unsettling children's film, books, and TV. I'm Adam Wybray, your other host is Ren Wednesday, and today's a very special Christmas episode, looking at the 1985 BBC children's classic, The Box of Delights. So, wrap up warm and enjoy. Hello, Adam. Hello. And hello, Willow, my one and only sibling. Hi there. Hey. It's very exciting to be here. Um, I'd be lying if I didn't say I had a bit of the fantobs about it, though. (laughs) I was about to ask. You beat me to it. Yeah, it has given me the fantobs, just a tad. (laughs) And that's a, a piece of the excellent... Uh, excellent slang, slangage from our piece today. Yeah, the box of delights um, from well, the TV series from 1984, based on the novel by John Macefield, which was published in 1935. And uh, yeah, we have Willow here today because this is something that we both grew up watching um, every Christmas on a recorded VHS, if I remember correctly. Oh, really? I, I mean, I presume so. I don't know. It would have been pre-DVD. So... I don't think they were showing it every I Christmas mean, on the television. It did get an official VHS release. So, I mean, can you remember the box? You know, did it just have Box of Delights written, scrawled on it in black <laughs> marker pen? Or I don't have any associated... Um, Tease advert memories particularly with oh, this one. Well, this right. is the BBC though. You wouldn't get oh, you wouldn't, yeah, you wouldn't get nineties adverts on the BBC. Yeah, that's true. No, that's a good point. Maybe, maybe we used to rent it then. We might have gone down to the video rental store. Oh, you, uh, I you, don't know. You, it was something very s- retro. Either way, what, what was the video <laughs> rental store that your parents used to live near? It was great. Oh, um, <laughs> the film shop. Mm. Mm. Yeah, 
Um, very, very much the black books of um, <laughs> of film rental. Absolutely, yeah. Um, vast um, selection of um, world cinema and like a few blockbusters in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> um, can can yeah. you remember what your most kind of commonly borrowed films from it were? Uh, Wind of the Willows. For me, I think the live action Wind in the Willows was. Oh, maybe that wasn't actually that store, but we did. That was one of the films I remember watching most often with you. Yeah. I, 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 um, I did borrow um, with Nell and I, like maybe four oh, times yeah. <laughs> from that show. And then um, until they eventually, like, you could just buy this. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, other. Um, films that we enjoyed as, as children together um, so The Wind in the Willows, Box of Delights which we sort of watched as a film even though it was episodic and uh, I'm a little embarrassed to say The Stupids oh God. which is <laughs> not what something was, that I will what, revisit What's The Stupids? Um, well <laughs> yeah, we, we, We've was, got um, to the secret shame section of the podcast early this week Yeah, I, I know oh, All it took was bringing my sibling on to um, really accelerate that process um, <laughs> It was a, um, a, a very bad 90s film um, about a family who were very stupid um, and did lots of daft things, <laughs> and and like in, like they got involved in an adventure by wildly misinterpreting everything which happened to them. Yeah, yeah. And there was a in, song uh, in it that I still get in my head, approximately once a week. Oh no! Called I'm, so I'm my own grandpa. That what? <laughs> <laughs> well, precisely. Adam. You really hit the nail on the head there. <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, the box of delights. We watched this when we were children. How about you, Adam? Mm. Did you watch this as a child? No, I well, okay. Well, my mum reckons I did. I can't really remember watching it. What I do remember is my granddad reading me parts of the book. Um, mm-hmm. But mm. I do remember the term scrobbling, um, uh-huh. which which was a kind of common playful threat of my childhood. Um, and i never really knew what it meant you know like i sort of imagined it as a kind of combination of tickling and being assaulted i guess like really violent tickling (laughs) like Mm. although in context it does seem to just mean kidnapping Although maybe a tad more whimsical. A, wi- a whimsical kidnapping. <laughs> than traditional kidnapping. I don't know if it has to involve the bag over the head. If that's <laughs> that an essential does part. does seem important. I, I think that's a part of the scrobble. Hmm. I think the magical flying car is also possibly important. Oh, that's a good... Can you scrobble without a flying car? Yeah, that is a good point. It, it was Chitty Chitty Bang Bang technically a film about <laughs> scrobbling. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, does the mm. does the ch- should the child catcher be called the child scrobbler instead? Oh, I think so. Actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I, I remember like some of the images, like rat and some of the some of the some of the characters, but only yeah. in this very vague, kind of nebulous sort of way. Yeah. Okay. So, give a, a little a little sense of the plot. Um, the Box of Delights itself is a magical item that can make people go small. 
um, and can make people go swift, uh, among other magical properties. The owner of the box uh, is Cole Hallings, a Punch and Judy man, who's also the creator of an elixir of life that has kept him alive for the last 700 years. Uh, but as our story begins, a villain named Abner Brown, uh, posing as a reverend, has his eyes on the box and the elixir, and so the old Punch and Judy man entrusts it to a schoolboy, our protagonist, Kay Harker. I mean, I, I, I know that Kay is technically the protagonist, but I really feel like Maria, I don't get afraid, Jones is probably the true star of this story. <laughs> Uh, yeah. well, I thought you two whippersnappers would like uh, Creature of Disorder. Uh, or is it <laughs> M- Maria? Or Mariah. Mariah, Mar- Mariah the Pariah. Mariah, I don't get afraid, Jones. Um, yeah, she's great. <laughs> yeah, so I have a section in my notes called Mariah is the Best. Um, <laughs> yes, she is. Um, <laughs> she's um, Kay's cousin. The Cam mm. Kay's cousins have been invited to stay uh, for Christmas. Um, the Blessed Joneses. <laughs> it's Blessed Joneses. Um, and Mariah is the um, uh, adventuring, rebellious tomboy of the cousins. Um, mm-hmm. Who, uh, right soon, she's, after she's introduced, says, um, My idea of a Christmas tree is if a gang of robbers burgled the neighbourhood and we battled it out with revolvers. Uh, and this isn't wholly hypothetical. She does have revolvers, <laughs> yeah. which are shown to be on her person at all times, including within the church. I will add, <laughs> she is a gun wielding child. Um. Yeah, and she has an amazing line, uh, which I really liked. Is well, I didn't join their gang. What's for dessert? <laughs> which just oh, amazing. <laughs> um, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but yeah, she's um, Mariah is a joy. And we will come back to her. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, the the villains, so Abner Brown, um, played by Robert Stevens, is the head villain, who's um, <laughs> just a wonderfully villainous villain, um, sort of a bully type, kind of by turns snarling and smarmy. Um, mm. He poses as the Reverend Bottledale to be above suspicion. Um He's accompanied by his wife, uh, Sylvia Daisy Pouncer, played by Patricia Quinn, who is a from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, really? Who is she? In that she's the she's the maid with the oh, big hair. I can't remember that character's okay. name. Yeah, I was uh, as excited to learn that. <laughs> you can see how her particular style of not overacting, just acting a lot, <laughs> really works in both of those um, both of these franchises. <laughs> Yeah, so she's a very drawling, uh, vampy sort of woman who was formerly Kay's governess. Um, um, if I might very quickly say, like, as a teacher, I really enjoy some of her descriptions of children. <laughs> um, so uh, she describes some of them, I think it's Kay mm. himself, with the utmost detestation and contempt. <laughs> mm, there's some good... Teacher, teacher, teacher vibe. <laughs> <laughs> Regular coffee room chat. <laughs> oh, the staff room. The far, the staff room. I'm. I can say is full of detestation. <laughs> um, yeah, this forms a major plot point in that um, she believes Kay to be such a 
uh, a terrible and imbecilic child that she assures Abner that there's no chance that the old Punch and Judy man has given him the box. <laughs> <laughs> because he, Abner, I think, reports that uh, Kay is, according to Pouncer, an idol muff. <laughs> So, is that the equivalent of a polymath? Someone who's so good at being <laughs> idle, they can do it in like four ways at once. I believe it's a muff, yeah. but I don't know. Yes, an oh, idle muff. An idle not muff. an idle math. Or an idle mutt. No, 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 sorry. No, 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 it's an idle muff, which I really enjoyed as a phrase. Which I get, you, do you put your hands like inside to get warm? Is that a muff? I'm not yeah. sure. Whatever, whatever kind of muff he is, he's not very energetic yeah. at it. We know that much. Although, in 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 defence of K, he's also not put out of joint very easily. Um, well, I was thinking on whether this is scary, and it is to a point. But the thing is, none of the children ever seem particularly bothered. So, like Mariah, you know, she's meant. To, how old do you reckon she is? Like eight, maybe? No, Seven? no, twelve. <laughs> Okay, well, even so, okay, 12. And, like, there's a whole bit where she's been taken off by this sort of, you know, den of ne'er-do-wells and <laughs> she doesn't come mm. back <laughs> for a good two days. And, like, all of the kids are just like, yeah, she'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> right. What's for, des- what's for yeah. dessert? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think that I was thinking about this and their, their sort of imperviousness to everything, and I think it's because of their unreasonably high levels of pluck. <laughs> uh, I, I was going to say it was the casual entitlement of the rich, but, you know, I mean, oh, okay, I mean yeah, that too. I mean, I guess... Uh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, they're both posh and plucky, and uh, mm. it seems to give them a, a shell of imperviousness to danger. And threat. Um, it, uh, it, I had to say that, like, it, something about uh, something about this does feel intensely English. <laughs> it's maybe the 1930s setting and like all of the, the and, and the poshness and the pluckiness of the characters. But it, it, it kind of reminded me of the Mitchell and Webb sketch where they're um, like showing like a Sunday afternoon relaxation tape, and uh, it's like exclusive footage of a beef eater being hosed down with cream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is that English. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's sort of like Enid Blyton without all the hate, which is nice. <laughs> I mean, there's lots of classism, but, you know, less... You know. Oh, it, it, it's, I mean, it's a very paternal classism. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Kay is, <laughs> is nothing if not paternally consistent. <laughs> And such a young patriarch at that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like as like the master of the house, a lot of adults seem to defer to him at a worryingly regular <laughs> occasion. Yeah. Like, oh, Master K, you'll make all the decisions, says two adults who presumably should be looking after him. <laughs> you know, when Master K wants his posset, he gets his posset, damn it. <laughs> uh. We'll come yeah, back he, to the posset. <laughs> we, we will. He talks down Ellen at one point for leaving the house um, yes, before learning that. that she, yeah, uh, do I mean yes, Ellen, the the his sort of uh, housekeeper who left the house to check on her mother, but yes. he doesn't know that at the time. But he says, "Why did you leave the house, Ellen?" <laughs> Maybe she had to go outside. <laughs> <laughs> Mikey Moses is my wife. <laughs> but yeah, 
there's a bit when they're sort of playing out of the snow and Ellen sort of just asks them to come in. He's just like, God, the rules and restrictions in this place. (laughs) Who do you think you are? Leaving the house, telling us what to do. But but, but he is willing to uh, curtail to... um, He he is willing to um, supplicate himself uh, in front of authority because... The police in, in this are shown to be relentlessly ineffectual, um, just absolutely useless. And yet he really is, he has a lot of faith in them. You know? <laughs> like every time things go wrong, they're like, yeah, should probably go to the police, tell the police. And then they go to the police and the police do nothing. And, like, oh, yeah. and then next time something goes wrong, they're like, yeah, police, go to the police. Uh, and an actual quote from this policeman. Sometimes the law has to put its foot down and sometimes the law has to shut its eyes. <laughs> yes, I found that rather alarming as well. <laughs> I like that it seemed to be that when the law shuts its eyes seemed to be if a crime is perceived as ragging, which is basically mm. if the perpetrators are posh enough, then like the crime is not a crime, it's just high spirits. Yeah, he was convinced at, at different points. It was just, you know, high spirits from... People either at the at the air at the like the the RAF base or the theological school, um, both of which are, I'm sure are full of pranks all yeah, of the time. Yeah, a prank that includes kidnapping an old man. <laughs> uh, sorry, Ed, I'm going to have to stop you there. It's scrobbling. Um, oh, so, sorry, yes, yes, scrobbling an old man, uh, which, which I guess technically isn't on the law books, so there's no, nothing they can do. Looking through the dictionary of crimes. Scru- 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 no, scrobbling's not there, I'm afraid. He, does, he loves to talk about the law, does the, uh, does the police officer. He talks at great length about the law and what it does and when it does it. Yeah, and how. The, the law, magic tricks and possets, basically, mm. is his sort of repertoire. Strange pronunciations of words like obsession <laughs> and, and hex. Co- oh, yes, hex. Aeroplane. Science. Oh, aeroplane, yeah. Coincience. Yeah, there's a lot of... Coincience. Yeah. Um, It's a a big slab of ham and cheese acting. uh... (laughs) 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 Is there there any subtle acting in this? Um, Uh, I mean, I I don't believe the archbishop could be an archbishop. He's very convincingly... Bishopy, he's, he's somewhat bishop-esque, yeah. Yeah, um, I think the the old Punch and Judy man is a uh, oh, yeah. does a lot of sort of twinkly eye acting. Mm. That's true. Yeah. Although that is probably it. Everyone else is acting to the rafters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much in kind of pantomime mode, mm. which is not necessarily a bad thing. I think you know it, it suits the material. <laughs> Tough. <laughs> Um, so uh, Abner also has two underlings who are also posing as clergymen, who are Joe and Foxy Face Charles. Ah, oh, Foxy Face Charles. <laughs> Anyone want Definitely to do a fave. a ha ha what? Ha ha what? Ha ha what? That's his catchphrase. Um, uh, they do most of the dirty work for Abner, including the aforementioned kidnapping or scrobbling. Um, mm. There's also a few early appearances from Rat, who is a human-sized rat who sneaks information for Abner and is rewarded in green cheese. 
Oh, I've I've highlighted the first meeting of Rat. Um, so Rat apparently uh, appears in the prequel. Well, say prequel. The uh, Box of Lights is actually a sequel. It came after um, John Mayesfield's uh, The Midnight Folk, which came first. And apparently Rat in that is basically a spy for hire. So mm-hmm. he's mercenary. He's not necessarily on the side of evil. And in fact, Kay is the one who employs him in that first book. Oh, uh, they have a pre-existing relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's quite surprised to see him. And he's like, oh, Rat. God, I didn't think, you know, he'd turn against me. But oh, I guess he'll do anything for the green cheese, basically. <laughs> um so yeah, Rat is a pre-existing character. Um, I wonder if Kay had much um, character development over the two, the two books. Like, is he is he plucky and precocious across the whole thing, or I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that'd be interesting to see. Um, anyway, um, I'll, I'll read I'll read the introduction of Rat mostly because I want to do a Rat voice, to be honest. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> is that you, Rat? Abner asked. Ah, it's me, a surly voice answered. And what's the good of being me? Up in the attic and down in the cellar all weathers, all hours. One who'll sell his mother if he had one. Thought she'd fetch his old bones. But what do I get by it? Bacon fat, you might say, or the green of that cheese the dog won't eat, or the haggis that make the hens swoon. But I don't, my Christian friend. I get rheumatics, that. And the dog sicked at me, that's what. As a matter of fact, I've got some green-looking cheese for you, Abner said. Look here. There was the scratch of a match. Abner lit a candle end. Kay found that he could see through a hole in the wall right into the ruin. There, blinking at the light, was a disreputable rat whom he had known in the past, not seen for years. He was now much more disreputable than ever before. Kay had heard that everybody had dropped him and that he had gone pirating. But there he was again, and a sickening object he looked. Nah, Rat said, taking the cheese, which Kay could smell even in that cold weather. And he wouldn't give me this if you could sell it to a tourist's rest. You're right, Abner said. I wouldn't. I understand you, Abner, and you understand me, Rat said. He was eating the cheese with a sort of sideways wrench, while his little beady eyes stared at Abner. That man, Joe... You better look out for Abner, Rat said. He's putting in for Chief. Likewise, the uh, ha-ha-what man. What do you mean? Abner asked. That's what, Rat said. Here he dropped his cheese on the floor. He picked it up and ate it without wiping it. Ah, that's what, he repeated. What's your report? Abner said. Him what he what of, Rat said. Is a getting rid of his dog this evening. That's nothing, Abner said. A lady friend will take the dog. Oh, as many a dog as I've loved more than the one now lives in a watery tome with a stone round his neck. But some who claim to be friends never take a hint. That's what. So, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, and he, mm-hmm. he goes on. Oh, it's a good rat voice. I enjoyed it. Oh, th- thank you. Also, we learned that he he was he did some pirating like the other pirate rats we meet. Yeah, which I suspect um, is uh, a little bit of autobiographic material from John Maysfield. Um, he was a pirate rat? Well, 
Well, not exactly, but he did go off for sailing when he was just a teenager. Really? Yeah, oh. he became like an apprentice uh, on a boat at like 13, 14, and then yeah, went off on voyages as a teenager, basically, and which is where he, he started writing poems and kind of collecting, you know, sea shanties and tales mm-hmm. that the sailors would tell. Wow. Yeah, he, he had quite the life, actually, if you read the Wikipedia page. He was a really busy man. Um, there's a whole section on, on Wikipedia about when he started up uh, beekeeping as well. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, quite the guy, and uh, was Poet Laureate um, of the UK from 1930 all the way to 1967 which I think must be the longest run a Poet Laureate in this country's ever had, I think. Do you think they forgot that he was Poet Laureate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> but that's one difference between the um, the book and the TV show. Like, you get a few of these kind of poems in the show where characters kind of sing them to themselves, but in the book there's a lot of poems, like sometimes breaking up the chapters... Um, or just almost incidental. It doesn't always like give much rhyme or reason for them. It'll just sort of go into a poem. But yeah, mm. there's loads of them. Mm. Um. So yeah, the the major arc of the story is um the villains trying to get their hands on the box of delights, not not realizing that Kay has it. Um, and in a, a sequence of scrobblings, um, first of the Punch and Judy man himself, um, then uh, Mariah, um, Kay's guardian, Caroline Louisa, the bishop, lots of choir boys. Um, M- many clergymen. Many clergymen, and eventually Kay's cousin Peter. Um, Who we all missed terribly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know why uh, Kay kept um, inviting Peter on his midnight... Um, Explorations when there was Mariah there. I mean, it's a really good question. Well, I mean, f- you know, <laughs> I, think, I mean, you know, Mariah is a bit of a wild card. You two, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Peter's like a foil for Kay, except he's exactly the same, but a little bit, a little bit less keen to do stuff and has a more entertaining selection of words to say. Like, um, you know, Mariah wrecked the bishop's car. May I remind you? <laughs> like. I- I don't know what she was doing driving in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) And has been expelled from three schools on three separate occasions. The headmistresses still swoon when they hear her name. (laughs) Yeah. I uh, enjoyed that phrase very much. (laughs) Um, Yeah, okay. Maybe Peter is a more sensible adventuring companion, but it would have been more exciting with Mariah. (laughs) Yeah, that seems fair. (laughs) <laughs> um, can we talk about some of the 1930s slang? Yeah, we brought up Peter and uh, um, Ren. You made a very good point about something that Peter's trying very hard to to do. Yes, Peter is um, trying very hard to make um, the purple pim happen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> to the so extent if- that when they finally release him from his um, cell in the um, in the flooded dungeon at the end, he says, well, wasn't that the purple pim? <laughs> We're like, all right, Everyone Peter, goes, we get oh, it. Oh, hi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're back. Great. <laughs> 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 oh, 
Um, uh, so Kay gets uh, sort of mock demonstrate demonstrated at the beginning for saying, "I haven't a toss to my kit." <laughs> To which Caroline Louisa says, you know you're not allowed to use slang. Okay. You know you're not allowed to use slang. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) There's certain phrases from this this series that I just get stuck in my head, um, Mm. which is then that's one of them. (laughs) Um, Oh, 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 another thing that's great about... uh, Maria? Am I saying her name right? Ma- Mariah. Mariah. Like Mariah she- Carey. Like Mariah Carey, excellent. Uh, is that she calls the police officer a stupid man. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a very accurate surmise. <laughs> yeah, unlike Kay, she doesn't really curtail to authority, I think it's fair to say. Mm. That's true. That's true. Um, so, fun, fun. Oh, no, yeah, go. so there's a purple pim, there's the aforementioned fantods. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Which he was given by the by the site of the abbey or the site of the theological college, mm. the Fantobs. Um, and uh, I haven't to toss it in my kit. <laughs> oh, is it toss it? I don't. Well, that's what I heard. I don't know. I don't know what it's uh, meant to be. Well, who knows? <laughs> um, and there are also some other amazing f- turns of phrase. It's one of my favourite things about this. Is just some of the individual phrases. For example. Joe is described as hot for mutiny. Which <laughs> I would like as a badge. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, did you to notice um, when uh, uh, the uh, Sylvia Daisy Pouncer and Abner Brown uh, weird endearments scene? Oh, so good. <laughs> um, where they're where they're talking about their plans and uh, yeah, with their increasingly strange pet names. No, okay, I, I did. Um, so it starts, um, <laughs> my star bright Abner, my precious pearl, my blue and yellow sapphire, my emerald, my ruby, and we get to eventually, my golden idol, my graven image. <laughs> <laughs> that was my favourite. So <laughs> oh. I love it. Also, my celestial one. My celestial one. one. Yeah. Mm. They, oh, he's uh, very, he's you... very unctuous, isn't he? <laughs> mm. <laughs> they also really like using the possessive for each other, like my pouncer, mm. which uh, which Foxy Face Charles takes over in a rather disappointing turn at the uh, <laughs> when they when they betray him. Oh, you're my pouncer now. <laughs> Why can't she be her own pouncer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The- I mean, Abner, <clears throat> I think he's quite insecure as a villain, really. I mean, like, he, he, I think he kind of knows that he's not... For one thing, <clears throat> I never really understand why he wants the Box of Light so much, because mm. mostly it seems to just make you small or really fast. Mm. Like, apparently it could do a lot more, but we don't see it, I mean, it could possibly transport you into a magical wood. Yes. Yeah, which is always nice. You could go into the past and then stay there forever. That's also a good <laughs> option. Um, I mean, I, I quite like, there's a bit, I think in the penultimate episode, in which, like, Abner has this moment where he's like, oh, 
I could just retire. Why am I doing this? Like, maybe I should just take all the ridiculous amount of riches I have and retire and just not bother about this box. My rubies and sapphire. (laughs) Um, Yeah, well, I think he mostly wants the elixir of life, but Mm. that's not actually in the box. Well, I think he's already been drunk, hasn't it? <laughs> well, he, he was going to... He, he offers it back to Cole Hoardings in exchange for the Elixir of Life, which means that if he actually got the box, he may not have actually got it anyway, because Cole could have just said no. Yeah. And he's, quite, and he's obviously quite scared of Cole, because mm. there's a bit where Joe challenges him and says, oh, why haven't you tortured this information out of him? And he's like, well, you don't... This guy's an amazing wizard. Like, you don't realise... No, I'm... <laughs> I'm too scared to do that, basically. Um, but I just feel like he's constantly, you know, he's constantly getting a bit of lip from all his supposed insubordinates. To be honest, like, like, he yeah. Up, but yeah, they are insubordinate, on like, there. Yeah, like, like he conjures up this um, uh, sort of green boy. Um, who, 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 yeah. who my second favourite character. Ah, uh, I, appa- I was a fan as well. Who apparently. Um, you know, he, he's cursed to to have to sit under a waterfall. But, you know, even so, this this green boy mostly just spends all his time being surly and refusing to answer <laughs> his questions. High quantities of sass, yeah. yeah. I mean, d- and then to which he threatens to have him pegged under the waterfall forever. Um, which I'm sure has many meanings. Sorry. Uh, excuse me. Excuse me. Um, there goes our, there goes our uh, listen, listening for kids. <laughs> many meanings. Um, many meanings. Willow bringing the tone down. <laughs> um, My apologies. <laughs> um, there are. Sorry, I'm sure the iTunes algorithms won't pick up on it. <laughs> It surprised me. Normative algorithm. <laughs> um, it surprised me on rewatch, rewatching that the uh, the boy under the waterfall is only in two short scenes, um, because he he made quite a big impression. And I he's one of the things that I remember most vividly. Um, I don't know. Yeah, he's sort of green skimmed and sort of impish, and he's kind of covered in weeds and water snails and wearing a. Kind of skimpy leotard made of leaves. Um, and yeah, he, he, look, he looks like he's just come out of Derek Jarman's adaptation of The Tempest, actually. Oh. <laughs> um, and he's shrunk. Yes. When he gets released, he gets to grow and grow in height. Yeah. Oh, and they do the fun thing where he hits his head and it, uh, they, they cut from live action into something, some sort of animation trick. Okay, yeah, so the animations here are a little confusing. Um, so... Um, the program was one of the first to kind of extensively use Quantel Paintbox, uh, which was an you know, early video digital editing um, software platform, um, which was used particularly for television. And it's shown off a lot here. So you get a lot of frames within frames um, and a great deal of effectively uh, blue screening effects. Oh, um what would have been done with like uh, traveling mats on film, uh, but here is being done with digital uh, video editing. Um, mm. So you, often the characters have a kind of faint kind of sheen around them, or a kind of slight fuzziness. Do you notice this? Mm. Mm. 
Like, so I think sometimes it's like they don't feel fully integrated into the landscapes. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, which creates a slight kind of odd sense of, I don't know, dislocation or things being a bit disjointed. Um, mm. Which might add to the dreamlike quality. Like, I think it makes things just feel a little bit out of joint and odd. Because, mm, yeah, there's a lot of overlayering of imagery, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a certain, yeah, sort of collage effect and... Mm. The fact, like when he, when Kay goes into the box um, and meets Han the Hunter, and that's there's a sort of overlapping paper, sort of vignette effect, and then um, mm. goes into the uh, the the drawn animation of um, of the forest. Um, yeah, I, I find it quite um, sort of pleasingly sort of. Um, uh, sort of cut out cut and pasted sort of combination of, of stuff <laughs> yeah it's quite i guess it's quite scrapbooky in mm, a way yeah uh, and it feels very evocative of like of, the, of, of watching it and sort of the memories of this form of animation which uh also reminds me of the land the witch and the wardrobe um original television series combination same production company apparently mm. so that would make sense i think it's also uh, using Quantel paint box for the effects. Interesting. And there's definitely a similar feeling in some ways between the Land of the Witch and the Wardrobe and, and and the Box of Delights in some respects. I can see why they would have done both. Oh, yeah. I guess that there's this similar kind of struggle or tension between pagan beliefs and Christian beliefs and the idea that England is a land of old pagan magic which uh, Christianity has built itself upon. Um, mm. I think in C.S. Lewis, you know, the Christianity has to always be on top. So, you know, however evocative some of the more pagan aspects in the Narnia books are, you know, they tend to be somewhat obscured by all the great Aslan is God stuff. <laughs> um, whereas I think Box of Lights allows for more of that kind of old magic to be mm. present perhaps yeah and it's um it's represented in Cole Hallings the old puncher duty man who says a couple of times that he's been around since pagan times um mm. and uh, um and uh, well Kay is um when he goes into the box is met by Hearn the hunter and uh yeah, and, and of course the Archbishop meets her and the Hunter as well at the end, mm. but doesn't seem too fussed about it. Doesn't <laughs> seem to have a crisis of faith or anything. <laughs> no. no, I mean, her and the Hunter helps them get to the cathedral on time for the midnight mass. It's a beautiful, beautiful coming together of the pagan and Christian beings, I guess. <laughs> although, although, sadly, in the uh, TV program, you, you don't get Hearn's uh, dolphin chariot, which is... Uh, <laughs> Because, yeah, in, um, so there, there's a lot of kind of, um, <clears throat> toing and froing between, um, waking life and dreams. And, um, I mean, in, in, in a way, most of the incident in, in the story is just things going wrong. You know, I mean, as it, uh, as in, um, Cole gets Kay his box of lights pretty early on, mm. you know, and then Kay has to look after it, and for most of the running time, he manages to keep hold of it. Mm. So mostly what happens is just 
various family members get kidnapped. <laughs> uh, and, and Kay seems not nearly as troubled by this as he probably should be. Um, and, and he drags uh, Peter all the way along and then, you know, they split the party, which is never a good idea. Yeah, true. And, uh, yeah. and then Peter gets kidnapped, yeah. Um, but, yeah, there's... Um, so there's this bit where he goes back in time. So there's some quite confusing magic lore about how <laughs> you can use the Box of Delights to go back in time, but you can't take the Box of Delights with you, apparently. Um, and so Kay kind of goes back in time um, to find the original creator of the Box of Delights. Who is excellent. Um, in an unnerving way. Arnold of Toady, apparently a great philosopher. Mm-hmm. Um but but who has cle- clearly become kind of unstuck in time and is on this sort of strange desert island of the past and um, you know his mind has become quite confused I guess through all this shunting back and forth through time. Um, yeah, some very particular beliefs about um, English peoples and their tales that comes up quite strongly. Yeah, I don't know what on earth that was a re- reference <laughs> to, if anything. I, I did. I had a little look. Um, uh, there were some like tales that like pe- different people from different parts of England used to say that people from different parts of England had tales. I think it was particularly people who were slurring the Cornish used to say that they were betailed. Um, but uh, yeah, I couldn't find anything else than that. Sure maybe they just made it up. Hmm. So in the program, um, this kind of debate over the English having tales leads to a kind of big falling out between Kay and Arnold of Toady and Arnold sort of zaps Kay with uh, magic lightning and Kay is then Mm. uh, rescued. Uh, Actually things remain a bit more amicable in the book and uh, Arnold comes with Kay uh, back into the 1930s Hmm. Um, and they're both rescued and picked up um, (laughs) by Hearn the Hunter um, coming in on this dolphin chariot so i thought i'd read this bit and the subsequent <laughs> poem uh, just because it's not in the program it's pretty delightful um so Kay, hearn and arnold mounted the dolphins at once leaped from the water plunging in and again leaped out on the long rush towards home soon they were speeding level with the chariot going swifter and swifter racing fish against fish while the woman called <laughs> to the team and sang to them Fin on, leap, skim the foam, swim the green toppling comb of blue seas rolling home under the west wind from Yucatan to Ind. Shear the sea flowers to stubbles, crush the blue floor to bubbles, gallop, forget your troubles, skimming in gladness the salt sea's madness. Come, flying fish, come whales, come mermaids with bright scales, come gulls that ride on gales and albatrosses that no gale tosses. Speed with us as we thrust the blue ways none can trust, the green ways without dust, the salt ways foaming, attend our homing. Wow. Yeah, I thought that was rather lovely and evocative. <laughs> it is. I mean, dolphins aren't fish, but apart from that, it's a great poem. Really well, the dolphins shot to the surface beside them, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, I really uh, like. We talk about animation for a bit. I really enjoyed the some of the the playing with size and uh, picturing some of the the sets that they must have made um, for like, like giant pieces of rag that he could wrap himself up in. And 
a big step that he could pointlessly climb up before remembering he can fly. <laughs> some good stuff. <laughs> big railway ticket. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I did enjoy that. Yeah. He climbs this big step with much effort and then gets swept off by a broom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then climbs it up again and remembers he can fly to anywhere in the house that he wants. <laughs> yeah, my mum watching it did sort of say, oh, why didn't he just fly there in the first place? But <laughs> then he it's not cinema it. sins. We're not going <laughs> to... Um, so, Ren. Mm, yes. I hear you can make a posset. Indeed I can, Adam. I wish you would. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I will. All right. Okay, I'm going to go and get, make my posset. <laughs> All righty. All right. back with a posset um a pocket full of posset i should hope so too i hope you were faster about it than you were with the door (laughs) 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 um i um so this this is part of the plot where um when um k goes to the policeman again to describe the latest kidnapping he's witnessed um uh, the inspector it goes on at some length about how all he needs is a posset um, to settle him down of a night. And what pray tell is a posset? Well, a posset is um, a beaten egg, then warm milk, a teaspoon or a spoon of black treacle, and some mm. nutmeg, grated nutmeg. Wow. And so you, you, it's got a raw egg in it. Yeah, well, it, I guess it's a bit cooked by the milk, but yeah. <laughs> a lukewarm oh. egg. It's got a lukewarm <laughs> egg in it. What a disgusting idea. <laughs> well, well, I don't know. I mean, I can't help but think that the programme was partly funded by the posset board. <laughs> because, because big posset. In the pocket of big posset. In the pocket of big posset, yeah. Um <laughs> But that really, really tickled me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I have it here in a mug, um, and it's not bad. I have to say. Oh wait, okay. you've already started on it. Yeah. Oh, I thought I thought, I thought we were going to have like a big, you know, drum roll. Oh, okay. All right. Go on then. Pretend, pretend you pretend you haven't. Okay. Do a drum roll. All right. Okay. okay. Yeah. No, wait, I'm doing Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, thank you. Um, I'm now going to take my first sip of this posset. <laughs> it's not bad. Hey. So is it? Has it? it sorry. You can't taste the egg. Oh. The, the lukewarm egg. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not like eggnog then? Well, maybe. I've never had eggnog. Oh. Um, it tastes like warm milk with treacle and nutmeg. <laughs> is it undoing all of that learning you've been doing? Because that's sort of what is implied by the superintendent that Kay has been learning far too much. From that's books. Why he's got this, yeah, from books. Yeah, it now. is making me forget everything I've learned from a book. You've Are you losing your obsession? <laughs> I am, yes. My obsession is just uh, <laughs> disappearing away into this warm milk egg concoction. <laughs> Um, yeah, and as we alluded to, um, he asks uh, servant Ellen to make this possip in the most passive-aggressive way possible. My goodness. Um, <laughs> I don't know, to be fair, maybe, you know, maybe the ch- child actors were going a bit cranky at this point. It might have been a long day of filming. <laughs> it might be, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so... You get to watch the whole, the, like a lot of the process of making it um, in the show. It's sort of like a like a how-to. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, very. It's like an. Inst- I'm surprised it doesn't come up with you can make this at home, folks. <laughs> like it really does feel like mm. it. Yeah. And I finally have. So there you go. Yeah, good stuff. And uh, all the listeners to this podcast can now make it as well. Yeah, and have a. And like a, an experience along with not the, the vegan like ones a, though. Like a, no, no, sorry, not them. Sorry, vegans. well, you said you said that the egg isn't adding much, and I'm sure that like vanilla flavored soy milk. Yeah. Oh, almond almond milk would probably be way better. Yeah, maybe maybe oat. Yeah, good options. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> so uh, that I was mean, recipe think, corner. Think... Here, I'm still scared. <laughs> Um, should we go? Should we go into texture of the week? <laughs> yeah, one? why not? Oh, why not? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh, maybe we should have sung it to, like, the tune of A Christmas Carol. Oh. Like, texture of week, texture of the week, oh, texture, oh, texture of the week. Oh, yeah. I mean, it should, shouldn't it be the first Noel tune? I mean, not to... Oh, well, that, can that you, was beautiful, how, how do we do that? Texture um, of the Just like that, really. Yeah. Excellent. Um, Willow, do you want to go uh, first as you're the guest? I'd love to. Um, so I had a couple, but um, can I can I say two possibly, yeah. or is that unfair? No, go, go have to. Okay. Have to. Okay, uh, the initial one, which I think is possibly quite a, a, a strong, obvious contender, maybe, is the green cheese itself. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, yeah, um, I was mm. I was thinking of that. Yeah, yeah. No. Yeah, sorry, it was, it, was, it was some sort of plaster scene they used, and it was just <laughs> very green and very... Play-Doh green. Mm. Yeah. Mm. 
Um, the other one, I don't think probably anyone will have chosen unless there's some sort of weird simba- sibling thing going on, but the half-stag state. So this is when they turn <laughs> from humans into stags and they go through this really interesting, malleable, <laughs> drawn state where they're sort of not quite one or the other. And from a texture perspective, it was quite an interesting... Oh, you've sight. really got the hang of this. You're a natural. Oh, um. <laughs> I feel like that bit in Ponyo when Ponyo, um, the Studio Ghibli film, is transforming in the tunnel and is like half fish and half girl mm. and looks really mm. weird and amorphous. In between, st- yeah. Mm. In between That's a good one. Well, I, I was going to say the green cheese too, but also be- combined with the kind of dribbly drool of rat. Because mm. he's really salivating, really sort of over this green cheese, and it's all kind of caught in his bristly whiskers, and it just looks particularly foul somehow. <laughs> mm. Um, there's sort of, yeah, the kind of general texture of rat, I think. <laughs> um, he, he looks both kind of bristly and sweaty and kind of stinky. And mottled and I don't know, just just generally looks pretty foul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah a memorable costume and demeanor. Yeah, mm. um, I did also have the green cheese. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's three for three on the green cheese. <laughs> um, but uh, my my backup texture was um, <laughs> the scrounger. Um, mm. which uh, Pouncer mm. threatens to put Mariah in. Um, we didn't mention it, but they um, they kidnap uh, Mariah um, to see if she'll join their gang because they they get the, the whiff of a preteen rebellion off her. Um, mm. But uh, she doesn't want to. But um, Which is a bit disappointing, isn't it? <laughs> um, but the the scrounger is um, what they they threaten Mariah with, and says, "We put you in it, and it has a thing in it that goes round and round, and presently you come out as a dog biscuit." <laughs> <laughs> it's particularly odd. It's not like dog meat; it's a dog biscuit. Yeah. Mm. Like, yeah. how do they make a body so dry? <laughs> we can only imagine. Mm. Yeah. No, that was good. Scrubbled and scrounged. <laughs> I think generally, I mean, it's slightly rolled on like some of the language, and you know, it's very mm. adjective heavy and sort of onomatopoeia. Mm. Yeah, just just generally very evocative. That's true, and the, and the villains being so intensely villainous is is, is quite uh, Dalian as well. Although I, I will say that. You know, Roald Dahl wouldn't have let Joe and Charles get away with it all. <laughs> no. Yeah. So, so I'll just describe sort of the ending of um, of the series. Um, mm. So they find out that, that this uh, Abner's base of operations is the Theological Training College, and um, Kay goes to scope it out with Peter, and then says, "Oh, you wait over there, Peter, while well, he takes the box." So you know he can go small, and he's fine. <laughs> but Peter just gets trouble instantly. Um, but um, Kay starts to sneak around the college in small form, uh, listening in on Abner. Um, Abner, uh, <laughs> I, I've written, pulls an amontillado on Joe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Come and see my dungeons. <laughs> Why don't you look in here? Oh, uh, not just my dungeons, my precious 
dungeons. <laughs> oh, yeah, quite. Um, <laughs> uh, locks him up. Um, Sylvia and Foxy Face Charles uh, realise that Abner was going to double cross them and decide to take the jewels for themselves. Um, They're also having an affair. Yes. It is intimated. Mm. Um, Abner um, is bringing up, brings up his waterfall boy to to try and find out, you know, where the box of delights is. And the boy tells him that um, he will have it under his hand that day. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Which uh, Abner is pig-headed in his determination to interpret metaphorically. (laughs) (laughs) Two people say it to him and he will at no point consider the possibility that that is not a metaphor. (laughs) He even says, no, no, of course, you mean it metaphorically. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> um, whereas, in fact, it is literally under his hand. Um, mm. But it's very tiny. But it's very tiny. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is all gets a little... Yeah, so so, so Case sort of sneaking around in the, um, in the upturn of Abner's trouser. Mm. Um... But, um, so... Oh, could we mention the demons? Yes, so... Yeah, I wanted to have a... See see if we we have a different favourite of the three demons (laughs) or if it's all the same one. Oh, yeah, I thought it was just the demon in slightly different forms. It didn't even, for some reason, occur to me that it was three different demons. So so he summons I think first the slave of the night. Yep. Um and then Creature Oh yeah, very good. Um mm, and then the last you. one is Animus. Yeah, I mean <laughs> they're just all great. I would highly recommend if you don't watch all of the episodes on YouTube where you can, you at least go to the, the final episode and uh find those three pieces of beautiful drawing and admire their their creatureiness um, it, all, it all goes a bit end of fantasia <laughs> the, the last episode has most of the horror i think um, yeah yeah it's odd because like abner clearly has loads of demonic powers or at least demon summoning powers mm. but you don't really see them for a long time he spends a lot of time not doing any magic at all yeah and very game very game of thrones you know they're, they're, they <laughs> they hook you in with all the intrigue and then they're like oh animus <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so he's um he sends these three three demons off to um to stop the clergyman getting to the midnight service at tatchester cathedral for christmas eve he's already captured the bishop but he's just making sure um, feels that, you know, I feel like for a demon, eternal creature of dark power, you might feel a little cheated that what you are doing is stopping some trains from running so that <laughs> priests can't go to a service. <laughs> yeah, well, one of them stops the trains, one of them stops the roads, and the other one makes a snowstorm. Uh, Just stop cannot, the sky. He's definitely delegating. It's but you cannot take life. <laughs> and he's, um, yeah, so he's... Uh, He's after consulting his boy under the waterfall. He's now consulting a disembodied bronze head, um, played by someone whose name is Nicholas Chargrin. <gasps> oh, <laughs> great name! <laughs> um, 
<laughs> this bronze talking head with swiveling eyes, um, which, which wh- looks like it's been sort of transplanted from a steampunk shop. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's very quite odd. Um, or the film Metropolis, maybe. Oh yeah, film. yeah. Mm. Um, but then disturbingly, when he um, he gets fe- he gets annoyed with the head talking back to him, um, so he he puts it upside down. Um, where it makes these sort of horrible rasping and rattling noises, like it's choking. Um, mm, it really does not like being put upside down. And it's like, oh, don't leave me like this. Um, but but hauntingly, no one goes back for the head. No. No, no not even Kay. Not even actually. Kay, who saw Abner do this. Um, it's best not reflect what happens to the head when the, the whole abbey floods. Yeah. <laughs> Although, floating, possibly the right way up. <laughs> Well, we can hope. Yes. Yeah, if he hadn't suffocated before then. Um, yeah, sad times. Yeah, so so poor poor bronze head it really gets a rough deal of it. Hmm. Um, but if you're wondering, my favourite was creature in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> cool. They, they Long were limbs. Quite. Yeah, they look sort of like Pokemon evolutions of the same creature, maybe. Yeah, that's true. Actually, yes. Yeah. Well, more Digimon, I think. Mm. What, That's mean, fair. Digital Gala champions. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the so sort of Abner goes down to uh, the old Punch and Judy man's cell just to, I don't know, taunt him, and says. Mm. And says, I'll, I'll have the box tonight. See, this, this waterfall boy told me. And then he, he conjures the waterfall boy again. He says, he, he takes great delight in telling Abner that actually he had it under his hand, uh, but then he didn't realise it. Um, so, ha. Then he, then he puts his thumb on his nose and <laughs> gives it his hand a wiggle. <laughs> um, and um, in... Abner's despair at having missed his opportunity to get the Box of Delights, he just decides to flood the whole basement um, full of yeah. prisoners. And it explode other bits of the castle too. Yeah. Mm. Takes a- because the uh, bloodhound of the law has turned up. Um, yeah, because the police are there at that point. They, they, have, they have arrived. Um, due apparently to his due to Kay's persistence, they eventually decided to <laughs> come and check it out. Um, so, but yeah, so uh, Sylvia and Foxy Face Charles uh, release Joe from his cell, um, mm. and so I think the bishop and so the clergy boys as well. Um, and this is this is this is not in, 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 in any chronological order, but um we just mentioned Joe and Joe's first line, or at least very close to the <laughs> Snow. snow. I like snow. <laughs> and I and I like that. <laughs> I was I did I have that written down as well. It's um <laughs> it's just amazing how he, he sneers that line. Yeah. Yeah. I like snow. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. But anyway, they get away with it. <laughs> they do. Yeah. So, so they, yeah, there's no great judgment brought down upon their heads. No. Um, I mean, no. Uh, Sylvia. Um, 
So yeah, the um, the Sylvia Foxyface Charles and Joe and merrily fly off in their car plane aeroplane, uh, dripping <laughs> in burgled jewels, uh, unpunished for <laughs> kidnapping many small children, um, and but releasing them. But uh, yes, they're releasing them at the end. But um, Joe um, throws a bag of flour at Abner <laughs> from the aeroplane. Um, which uh, hits him on the head and he falls backwards into the flooded basement and we assume drowns. Hmm. Yeah, it's quite a humiliating way for the arch-villain to be killed, I think. (laughs) Bopped on the head by a bag of flour. (laughs) (laughs) From your really not very intelligent um, lackey, ex-lackey. I was interested to learn that this... um, that the box of lights is a U, possibly because oh, of yeah, when yeah. it was made. I mean, that means I could show it to my class of four and five year olds. I don't oh. think I will, but <laughs> um, I could, hmm. which is interesting because you know you're not allowed to show PGs uh, uh, in schools, but you can show any U's, and usually U's are more like Sean the Sheep and less yeah. animals. <laughs> so, so you're saying Willow that you could just splice the sequence with the demons and then. <laughs> At this drowning and just show that on repeat to your children, and you'd be absolutely fine, and there'd be nothing I don't know if anyone I could would do to stop you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it would just meet the minimum requirement for being allowed to be shown in a school. I think there's possibly also some kind of discernment I'm meant to do as well. But yeah, I think that they would mostly find it boring and then like briefly terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. So. <laughs> uh, so does it does it give you kind of Christmassy feelings watching oh, it, or, or did you just did you just watch it all the time, not even necessarily at Christmas? Oh, I'm not, I think I, mean, I, I it, think we restricted it to um to around the Christmas yeah season yeah, yeah I imagine so. Um, I, it definitely gives me Christmassy feelings. The um, mm. the uh, arrangement um, of the first Noel by Victor Helly Hutchinson, I find very Christmassy, mm. and associate with the smell of radiators. Oh, excellent! Yes, <laughs> Chris, that, uh, Christmas it, this radiators. Is, yeah, Christmas radiator smell. This is a shared association that myself and Ren both have. Where, <laughs> um, the smell of radiators turning on is very exciting. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. um, the music throughout is really evocative and um, yes, yes, I think it really helps to make that kind of magical childhood adventure feeling yeah, it's through. this lovely mix of sort of organic woodwind cursive instruments and synthesised BBC radiophonic workshop sounds mm. The synthesizers go really hard when they're like fishes and and birds. That's uh, hmm. they, it gets you, you can tell it's made in the eighties then, which um, I did not realise as a child. I don't think I really had an associate like an understanding of decades, but I didn't really have a very clear idea that this wasn't made at the time it was set. Ah, um, hmm. which is a worrying uh, chronologically speaking, that you know, in terms of my understanding. But I think goes to show how dedicated they were to creating the 1930s feeling. Well, yeah, so don't worry. My sister watching this uh, didn't seem to realise previously that phoenixes aren't real. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we all have blind spots, clearly. 
<laughs> Lifelong learners, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, they were in a Glee club, and I thought that Glee was quite a recent television phenomenon. Oh, yes, yeah, so the, 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 poli- the police officer, right? He says mm. that he was in a Glee club with oh. the villain. Uh, yes, uh, as uh, the, the Reverend Bottledale. Hmm. So uh, let's hope they make it all the way to regionals, eh? <laughs> <laughs> um, I just wanted to mention um, the boldest claim of the episode, which is um, when uh, um, they are escaping from the flooded cellars. Um, is, is this a new section? But, the boldest, but claim. boldest claim. <laughs> Maybe it could be if, if people continue to make claims like this. Um, <laughs> there, uh, the, um, the old punch and duty man turns his hat into a boat and... Um, mm. They're approaching a, a steep, um, a steep incline upwards to get out of the cellar, and he says, um, <laughs> "It doesn't matter because what a salmon can do, a man can do." <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, take that, Jordan Peterson, with your lobsters. <laughs> oh yes, um, oh, that's a, that is a good claim. Um, yeah. I quite enjoyed it when um, Kay was being lightning attacked when the um, when uh, Arnold thingy was uh, was doing the emperor to him and really really lightning bolting him and uh, yeah. he says I hope everyone calls for me and then Julie everyone started calling for him a moment later it was quite a nice little bit of you know he was really putting it out there really Aww. saying exactly what he needed to happen <laughs> <laughs> yeah that special effect reminded me a lot of. Um nightmare you know the old tv kind of game show for kids where you have one kid wearing like the helmet mm. going into the the dungeon and the other kids uh, instructing them mm-hmm. move left no right um it was my the kind precious of spe- dungeon <laughs> <laughs> yeah got a special effect you'd get on that mm. um the small side i enjoyed when um Kay, when he was getting to ready to leave saying come on box to the box of delights, as if it were Aww. a dog. Aww. Aww. <laughs> yeah, nice. he does. Yeah, <laughs> does seem to have bonded with it somewhat. Yeah. <laughs> um, in the same way that Abner had bonded with his diamonds. Mm. <laughs> and I, I mean, the, the entire like every every time Abner's on stage and is just like demolishing the the, the scenery with his teeth. <laughs> so good. <laughs> One last great wickedness before I go. <laughs> yeah. He even indulged in some third person uh third person monologuing. So Abner. But Abner, what about Pouncer? <laughs> so good. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you, you two just want that Abner and Mariah kind of spin off show. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. Uh, I think Pouncer can come. Pouncer, okay. Pouncer, and and I think <laughs> what could probably come as well. <laughs> See, Adam, it's not just me. It's clearly a, a genetic <laughs> love of doing silly voices yeah, on this yeah. podcast. <laughs> I've not my very own. (laughs) You simply mustn't. (laughs) You must not think of getting rid of Charles. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, 
thank you, Willow, for joining us for this episode. Uh, it's, thank you very thank much you. for it's having been me. Great. It's been a lot of fun. Um, um, do you want people to find you anywhere, or do you just want to disappear no, I mean, into the ether? I mean, as a teacher, it would probably be weird if I told everyone <laughs> where I did my work. So, no, I won't do that. <laughs> but uh, nice to uh, be on here and uh, in all of your ears. That's a weird way of saying that. Hi! Intro music by Maki Yamazaki, who also gets special helping me make a posset credit this episode. Um, <laughs> our outro music is by Joe Kelly. Um, our artwork's by Letty Wilson. You can find us on Twitter at, at StillScaredPod or email us at StillScaredPodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can also write a review or rate us on iTunes. We'd appreciate that. Um, Adam, do you have a sign-off for us? I do. Godspeed, creepy kids, because time and tide and buttered eggs wait for no man. Nice. Ha ha ha, what? <laughs> See you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.